This is Will Ford from Football 365, and you're listening to At the Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast. What's up, everyone? You're listening to At the Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. On this week's episode, we're going to be looking at an iconic Champions League season and it's going to be the 2008-2009 season. It's known as a disgrace, an effing disgrace, as well as we're going to look at the Sheffield United game where Hakim Ziyech may have just took the mantle of being our new wizard of Cobham. Now, here are your hosts all the way from the UK, Mikey Berth and Chris. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At The Bridge Pod. As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Berth and Chris. Hopefully, they're not as tired as I am, but how are we, lads? Well, I'm very, very tired, if I'm honest. It's been a never-ending day. It's been such a long day, but it's good to be doing the pod. I'm looking forward to this episode. Chris, how are you doing? You know, last week, none of us was tired, and this week, we're all tired. I've actually been back in school for the first time in ages today, and it has absolutely battered me. Yeah. <laughs> for for the record, Chris hasn't been held back multiple years. That's that's not the case. It's I'm glad you clarified that, because I was <laughs> a bit worried. So he's still going to get those year 11 exams. He's going to do it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, t- it's a tiring that, week. <laughs> right, with that, we, we will head into the newsroom and see what the latest goings on are at Stamford Bridge. So we're into the November international break, so just the one game to look over this week, which is a bit of a shame, but we're going to give it our best go. It's our league matchup against Sheffield United. Timo Werner in again here, no mistake this time. An emphatic finish from Werner, and Chelsea are opening the floodgates in the latter stages here. 4-1. So it ended Chelsea 4, Sheffield United 1, but David McGoldrick, he scored his fourth Premier League goal of his career to open the scoring. Three of those goals, for fun fact listeners, has come against ourselves. So that's a stat. Um, we, but we came back with goals from Tammy, Chili B, Silva and Timo to come away with all three points in a 4-1 victory. What were your thoughts on the game, lads? Yeah, I mean, I think the first 20 minutes, I was a bit worried. I think last year we probably would have lost. First 20 minutes? Yeah. I was more worried so, from minute but minute one. It was awful. You were like, we're, we're, what's going to happen there? And then the goal. You're like, well, oh. yeah, so I mean, like the first 20 minutes of the game, I was I was very worried. Uh, I, I, I felt like... We just couldn't pass. Our, our structure was all over the place. We couldn't really get out of our own box. It was just—it was a bit of a mess the first 20 minutes. I think this time last year, probably would have lost a game like that. Mm. But then once we got a goal back, we got our momentum going. I thought it was fantastic. Ziyech and Reese James were superb, really, really good. Tammy, fantastic. Timo, really good as well. Um, and Thiago Silva was just as good as ever. So, yeah, it's a really good, accomplished performance. And it's not easy scoring four past Sheffield United. No, for sure. I, I did write down before Chris jumps in that this was the first time in over three years since they con- they conceded four goals or more. And the last time was um, against Fulham in the Championship. And to be fair, looking at their previous games, their run of form, last five, lose four, drawn one. And as soon as they scored the, the, the early goal, I'm just thinking, is this going to be another Bournemouth? It's like yeah, you're, yeah. Or a West Ham or a Palace and you're like, oh, no, no, no. But it didn't turn out that way. Chris, thoughts on the game? I agree with Berth, really. I thought the first 20 minutes, we started really slow. Uh, we looked a bit leggy. Uh, I actually think conceding the goal woke us up. 
Um, it was a really poor goal to concede. Though. I was disappointed with that, getting done off a short corner. Uh, but after that, I thought once we got the equaliser, I actually thought it was probably our best performance of the season. I thought our use of the ball was really good. Link-up play was really good. Like you said, I mean, Sheffield United are a pretty solid solid. Like Even though they haven't been getting results, they haven't been chipping that many goals. And I thought we carved them open on numerous occasions. So the link-up is starting to get there now. I think CF has made a massive difference in that. And I thought Rhys James was superb as well. Yeah, 100%. It's a great result as well going into the international break. You know, and obviously at the time of recording, I'm not too sure. We don't know. Obviously, we record this on Thursday, which is the 12th of November. But I hope a few of our tired players, I'm thinking likes of Werner and Chilwell especially, get some much-needed rest. We've seen the injuries that are devastating our rivals. You've seen Joe Gomez this week pull out of um, the England squad because he's suffered that awful knee injury. Uh, last night, Nathan Ake of Man City, his pull came off early with a hamstring injury. It's playing so many games back-to-back, it's clearly catching up with the players. And, you know, on a more game-related note, let's not forget as well that Sheffield United have only lost by more than one goal once this season. And we we put them away in that game. It's as simple as that. I mean, the big thing for me is that last season, if we went 1-0 down against an organised side like this Sheffield United side, I, I, I think we'd be in for potential frustration. You know, mm. lots of possession, very good chances, but we wouldn't get, we'd be lucky to get a draw. That's kind of the, the mantra of last season and recent seasons. But, you know, and then we get picked up on the break or from a set piece again, Bournemouth comes to mind. But, you know, we went 1-0 down and I kind of felt like we had it in us to still create and get back ahead, which we did. And you guys touched on Ziek. Yeah, he was central to that victory. You know, he's a player that we picked up for such a cheap bargain price. And a player clearly in his peak years. And I did sort of think if Willian had signed a new deal, surely he would have been the starter over Ziyech. Controversial, but I think he would have based on how he was seen in previous years and how Lampard set up his team. It Can I just interrupt there? I just I just want to hear what Chris's thoughts are on Yeah, that. exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said at the time that that is why we needed Willian to leave because I, I agree with I agree with what you said. I do think if Willian had signed a new deal, he would have started and then we would have just had the same frustration to him hitting that first one on the corner all the time. Yeah. I mean, shown it for Arsenal as well that you're kind of questioning why they gave him the contract they did. And, you know, that's Arsenal's issue to deal with. Fair enough. He was a great servant for us, etc. But, you know, in the seven seasons that Willian spent with us, last season was his joint third most appearances out of all of them. Again, 36 out of 38 Premier League games he played. That says it all. So Mm. he would have most likely been ahead. And, you know, the signs are there for me with Ziyech that he could succeed one matter and Cesc Fabregas as our wizard of Cobham for sure. But the whole attacking unit just looked more fluid and like we'll actually penetrate these disciplined defences like Sheffield. So I just sort of put in and make it a a point about Ziyech just straight in go for it I think I think what makes him so good and so handy to have is obviously he's left footed he plays on the right it really helps Reese James out and it really is hard to defend against you've mm. got a left footer cutting inside you know what the, def- the defender's going to go with you and then that allows Reese James the space to just bum on then because let's be honest most wingers these days they don't track back so Reese James has got freedom to just roam down that right side and keep bombing and keep putting in those balls and it sort of 
It only frees Ziyech up in that, on that right-hand side. If, if it does free up Reese James, that'll only help Tammy, that'll only help Timo, uh, Havertz when he runs into the box, Mount. You know, it's bringing the best out of Reese James, having Ziyech on that right-hand side. And I, mm-hmm. I think Ziyech was terrific, fantastic, honestly, the best round the park against Sheffield United. But I think Reese James was a close second, and I think he really is getting a good partnership going with Ziyech now. Yeah, 100% agreed. Yep, so that's pretty much our game reviews. There's only one, you know, it was an overall decent game, three important points. So we'll be back to talk our main topic after this. For all you budding kit collectors out there, Get Shirty offer you the chance to add to your kit collection without ever knowing what you've bought. Just order a box at getshirtyshop.co.uk and await the arrival of your new shirt. All kits are authentic, brand new with the tags still on and available in all sizes. Remember, you can support our podcast by using the code at the bridge pod at the checkout. So that's getshirtyshop.co.uk. What are you waiting for? Welcome back, listeners. It's international break time. With that in our minds, we'd like to take this short break to look at a topic from the past, be it a cult hero, an iconic season, a classic match. You get the idea. Well, this week, co-host Chris, he suggested we take the time to look back at an iconic cup run from our history and just have a chat around to reminisce about that particular cup run that season. Well, we tweeted out a poll of three iconic cup runs and you went with the 08-09 Champions League campaign. So we're going to get into that one. Now, before I start, I'm going to read out the Champions League squad. We had assembled ready for the campaign, but not the obvious names, but the names you likely forgot were even part of our squad at that time. So we had the likes of Franco De Santo, Minero, Reese Taylor, Michael Mancien, and Miroslav Stock. Any of those bring back memories, lads? I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I thought Michael Mancien was like the second coming of uh, of John Terry. But <laughs> football was a funny game, and that hasn't quite turned out to be correct. But yeah, Franco De Santo, a striker that didn't really score many goals. Miroslav Stock mm, didn't really do it at Chelsea or anywhere else. Oh, and I'm going to jump in. Oh, sorry, Fenerbahce. He, he did well at Fenerbahce, didn't he? Is that right? 20, he won the Super League and the two Turkish Cups, but even more importantly, he won the FIFA Pushkas Award in 2012. You know what? That is true. That was a great goal. It was a volley, weren't it? On the edge of the yeah. box. For not it, it, it was in the Turkish Super League. It got 78% of the vote, beating out um, Falcao's goal and Neymar's goal. Uh, look it up, listeners. I saw it again today. One of my colleagues at work at lunch, on lunch break was had that particular video on it was convenient. I was like, oh, wow, uh, it, it's an outstanding goal. It's against an opponent that I'm not even going to try and say the, name, the team name because I'll absolutely butcher it. But it's incredible goal. You've got to check it out. You saying about Mancien, I remember when he was at Wolves and I did think, is there going to be something there? But it, it was just one of them. He just didn't really live up to the hype. But how many players have we said that about before as well? It's such a shame. Um, mm. Any of those names particularly stand out, Chris? Uh, I thought Michael Mancien was going to succeed as well so we improved what we know uh, and then Franco De Santo I remember him more at Wigan I thought he was okay for Wigan mm, true that yeah didn't yeah. want that yeah um, I mean Mancien we did eventually sell to Hamburg and he did reasonable played most of his career at Nottingham Forest he's now in the MLS at the moment and yeah he's playing for the New England Revolution 32 years old all the best to him you know it's, it's just one of them unfortunately players don't always work out how you think they will um, yeah. But, you know, we started off this Champions League run in Group A. We had the likes of Roma, Bordeaux and uh, CFR Cluj. We finished second behind Roma by a point, losing just once in that group against Roma. 
We had draws against Bordeaux and Cluj. And all our three wins came at home. So overall, home form good. Away form, kind of average. What, what stood out for you guys from that group stage? Was there any particular moments? You know, group stages don't really stand out unless something's iconic, but anything particular? Oh, when you sent over the scripts the other day, I thought, what did stand out about the group stages about the 08-09 season? I couldn't, couldn't really pinpoint anything exactly. But, I mean, you go, go to the sort of us winning three games at Stamford Bridge. I mean, I think people take it for granted. I mean, when you look at the big sort of cliched like, stadium atmospheres around the world, no one ever says Stamford Bridge. Mm. But on, on like a Tuesday or Wednesday night, or even on a Saturday or Sunday, whenever, we have honestly got one of the best atmospheres in the country. And I firmly believe that. Like, I mean... <laughs> You know, people call us these names and this and that, but we've actually got a brilliant atmosphere at Stamford Bridge. Anyone that's been to Stamford Bridge, honestly, it's it's one of the best atmospheres, definitely in London, and I'd say in the country. And, and when the crowd gets behind you on a Tuesday or Wednesday night in the Champions League, it really is a special night. And that just sort of it's good to reminisce sort of the atmospheres of a of Tuesday or Wednesday night at, in the Champions League, really. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I always think everyone talks about Champions League nights being special at Anfield, but I think they are at Stamford Bridge as well. I think under the lights, yeah. midweek, some special atmospheres and special games in the Champions League at Stamford Bridge. The main thing that started out for me is how the poor, poor results against Bordeaux and Cluj. Yeah. I mean, I, how are we not beating those sort of sides in that? It, it's, a, it's an interesting point you bring up. I've, I've, I've brought up here, my memories of the group stage are just a flurry of red cards we appeared to pick up. You know, we lost 3-1 to Rome and we had Deco sent off. Following game against Bordeaux, Lampard gets sent off. Um, the nostalgia for the players we came up against is quite strong. You had Roma having Philippe Mexis, Christian Panucci, obviously a former blue. John Arnavisa, which you probably think he played for Roma. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, Francesco Totti and Vincenzo Montella. And Bordeaux, you touch on there, they'd go on that year to win the Liga and title under Laurent Blanc. So in hindsight, kind of a bit of a tough group. And Celtic would probably vouch in recent years that any game against Cluj is never easy. So, yeah. But into the knockout round we went. We took on Juventus in the round of 16, who had finished unbeaten and topped their group ahead of Real Madrid. Now, listeners might think, tasty, we, they, they, they're going to be a tough, tough team. Let, let's not kid ourselves. This was hardly a vintage Madrid side that, you know, they topped a group of. And infamously, that's the same Madrid side that would lose 6-2 to Barcelona that season. And that started a five-game losing streak to end their La Liga campaign. Um, yeah, but the first leg against Juventus ended one-nil to ourselves, and a goal from who else but Didier Drogba. The second leg in Turin would end two-two, and we progressed through three-two on aggregate. Of course, this time goals came from Estienne and Drogba, and they would cancel out the goals from Iaquinta and Del Piero for Juve. How tough do you feel that round of 16 draw was and the achievement of beating that Juventus side? I mean, very. I mean, you look at some of the players there, Perlo, Del Piero, just to name a few. But I, th- I think what, what helped us in that, I remember watching at the time, and Michael Essen, who was injured for a very long time, and he looked at the game, and he was, I think it was the second leg he got back from Robin first. Um, but Essien playing in those two games made realise how much of a big miss Michael Essien was for Chelsea. Like, he was such an incredible player when he was out of the team we, we did lose that bite in midfield we had Lampard we had, ba- we had Balak we didn't mm. quite have that destroying midfield and Essien you know showed his class in those two games against Juventus I mean he, terrific I mean it was never easy going to to Juventus and, and getting two goals or getting one goal let alone two so incredible incredible performance in, in both games and yeah 
tremendous achievement getting past them. Yeah, I echo the uh, the thoughts on Michael Essien. I, I actually think people forget now still how good he was. Um, mm. He was such an important player for us that people do tend to forget when they talk about great midfielders in the Premier League that Essien never gets brought up, but he should be in the conversation. I'm not saying he should be in there, but he should be in the conversation at least. And then yeah. I do think that Juventus side at the time was struggling a bit in Europe, though. I think. I'm pretty sure they lost all their previous four away legs or something. But I think it shows that everyone always says you want to play at home second. But some of our best results in Europe have come when we've actually played at home first. So I think it yeah. shows that is it much of an advantage playing home or away first? Sometimes it's better to go away having a lead to hold on to, like yeah. we did against Barcelona as well in 2012, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Estian, I mean, he spent... I think it was eight seasons at Stamford Bridge, went on that infamous low move to Real Madrid. Fair play, he did all right over there as well. But, um, you know, his career his career kind of petered out a little bit towards the end. He played in Greece, he played in Indonesia, and then he finished up in Azerbaijan. But he was such a, an incredible, incredible player. And, you know, when we got him from Lyon, I think that was a signing and a half, you know, a £24 million fee. And we beat a lot of good names, big, big club names for his signature. And he was he was absolutely outstanding. Some of the incredible goals, which we will touch on as well in this exact episode. But I watched back the highlights of that game and they're there. They're, they're on YouTube. They're not the best quality. But for me, it was actually the calmness that Del Piero took his penalty. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's classic. It, it's very Del Piero. And I, I miss that player. He, he was an incredible one to watch. So the quarterfinals would find ourselves against a familiar side, which were Liverpool. The first leg ended 3-1 in our favour. But everyone will remember that second leg back at the bridge, which ended in the 4-4 free-for-all in the goals. Um, quick summary of that second leg. Liverpool were the outsiders, but they were well on their way towards their target in the second leg. So they took a 2-0 lead, which levelled the score 3-all. Aurelio scored that free kick. Alonso had stepped up for a penalty following a foul on him by Ivanovic. Six minutes after half-time, Drogba, 2-1. Went through the hands of Reina, bit of fortune. Six minutes after that, Alex, insane free kick. Insane. I don't know if you all remember it. I'm going to I remember it. it. Yeah, I I'm going to be... Yeah. Tr- trust me, I'm going to be dropping in the audio probably right now. It's Alex! Oh, what a goal! Sensational! A beauty. It's just an outstanding, outstanding goal. That's two all. Then Lampard three two up, seventy six minutes. Uh, Lucas and Dirk Kaup score. Liverpool four three. Uh, only one goal away from advancing. Lampard scores in the eighty ninth, finishes it off. Four all, seven five on o- overall aggregate. What were your thoughts on that mad game? I, I think that game took away how good we was in the first leg when we beat them three one. I think people seem to forget how good. He was in that game. I mean, I think Drogba scored in the first leg. And it was an incredible team goal. And Ivanovic as well, though, is the first time Chelsea fans saw Ivanovic in the first team and realised how, how sort of good he was in that Liverpool game. But the second leg was was crazy, really. I mean, I think it gets overlooked now. As, but you have to look back and think, wow, that's one of the greatest Champions League games you'll see. I mean, Alex's free kick was... Pfft, no keepers stopping that, are they, really? Um and you, you seem to forget how good Drogba and Lampard were in those big games. I mean, Drogba always seemingly gets talked about as one of the best big game players ever. But I think 
I think Frank Lampard has to go down as one of the best big time uh, big game players as well because he always seemed to perform, always stepped up when it mattered the most, and, and Liverpool was was no different. Yeah, I could be wrong, but was this the was it before the second leg that Rafa Benitez slagged off Drogba in the press? Oh, possibly, possible. That's why Drogba's celebration was so good after he scored. I'm pretty sure it was that Benitez had said something about Drogba in the press conference before the game, and Drogba did not take kindly to it at all. Um, my other memory of that game is it. I'm pretty sure as well. That's is that the one where Lampard scored the penalty not long after his mum had died? No, that was yeah. the year before. That was the year before when he scored the penalty. You know, seven oh eight. I think. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I've been mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it was 0708. Yeah. I, I genuinely feel a bit game. out here. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it was 0708. I, I, either way, that's four, four games. Yeah, Mikey, have a Google. So I'm pretty sure. Either way, carry on, Chris. Carry on. Yeah, the, the game was incredible, though. I mean, it was a little bit heart in mouth moment when they went four three up. Um, but then I remember the Lampard goal, and then it just just settled everyone back down, and you could enjoy the last few minutes. Knowing that we get a big semi-final coming up. Yeah, it was 0708. I, I thought it was. I, yeah. I didn't think it was 0708. We, we don't want to talk so. about that that campaign yeah. yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. But yeah, for me, I mean, Fabio Aurelio catching Petacek out, it's quite smart. Fair play to him. You know, it's frustratingly smart. But, you know, it's it's another Aurelio free kick as well later on that results in the penalty because Ivanovic decides to wrestle Alonso to the ground. It's so silly to watch. you like... But you know what's going to happen. It's a, it's a straight penalty. It's every day. You don't need VAR to step in there. Um, outstanding save as well. I think people forget to deny Cout for making it 3-0 moments later. I think that's such an underrated save as well. I don't know if you'd like mm. to remember that from Petacek. I do, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the reason we all remember this particular cup run, I'm sure it's why it got the votes, is the semi-final. It's the Barcelona second leg game, to be precise. And it's a game that in recent years that ex-boss Gus Hiddink stated he felt this was the only time a match could, I impose, could have been fixed. Strong words. Um, a quick summary before we dissect the second leg was, because no one cares about the first leg, to be fair, but um, the game started well for Chelsea. And nine minutes in, Essien, we spoke of him earlier, he scores a 20-yard left-footed volley. Oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, then we continue to be, we, to be the best of team. You know, we're looking at dangerous side and, then the sending off happens of Eric Abidal after a foul on Anelka. And Chelsea infamously have up to four penalties waved away in this game. None of them are awarded by the Norwegian referee Tom Henning of Rebo. And then there's that devastating blow, a 93rd minute equaliser from Andreas Iniesta. But it's Messi. It's Iniesta! Oh and the Chelsea fans cover their eyes in horror. Two minutes from time. This happened to be Barcelona's only shot on target as well. And it allowed Barcelona to ensure a last-minute qualification to the final. And it's an additional handball in the box from Etu from a Balak shot that's also waved away. Uh, lads, it's a free-for-all. Jump in with your feelings. We'll keep it mature and clean. We'll try. But go on. I mean, first of all, I'll, I'll talk about how good both goals were that game, in all fairness, Iniesta's, even though it was heartbreaking and I'm not even going to lie, as a kid growing up, it reduced me to tears, even though I was 14. It still reduced me to tears. But yeah, I mean, 
What, what can you say? I mean, I've, it's almost disgusting looking back at how blatant the penalty shouts were. I think the PK handball one, where Anelka tries to knock it past him, I think how anyone could not see that. I mean, I've never left the game before in all my life, but I think I would have given that. I think everyone on this planet would have given that. I think you could not know anything about football and still give that as a penalty. And then the one just after Iniesta scored, the Eto one where his arms above his head, quite clearly in an unnatural position. I mean, it's actually baffling looking back. And I mean, Drogba's reaction after the game saying, you know, it's an effing disgrace. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) people saying, oh, he shouldn't be doing that. He's presenting himself as a bad character to young kids growing up who were looking up to him. But And yeah, you could argue that. But I think it's justified by this referee who's so incompetent and so terrible. I mean, I don't know how many games he ref after this, but my God, how bad was he? I mean, if you, we hate VAR, let's be honest. No one really likes VAR. But if that was around back then, we'd have had four penalties. I have no doubt about that. We'd I think, have had four penalties. Yeah, I mean... The PK one, 100%. Um, I'll bring up a bit of post-game analysis, which was on Sky Sports 2 at the time, before we had all these cool channels and then the Champions League moved to DC. But yeah, the four commentators on that particular game said they all agreed that among the four penalties turned down by the referee, three of them should have been awarded, which was the shirt pull on Drogba by Abadal, which would have otherwise been a one-on-one against the goalkeeper. Um, the lob ball that... Was over Barcelona defender PK, but it was blocked by his stretched out right arm in the well palm in the 82nd minute, which yeah, we totally agree on. And the last minute, fully stretched upper arm blocked by Eto. I mean, it's it's madness, really. I mean, what do you think, Chris? I know at the time I remember that was like one of the most sort of emotional roller coasters that you can go on in a football game, and. I remember at the time that there was a lot of talk about it being fixed and that. And to be honest with you, I think I was saying that as well at the time. But looking back at it now, I think he was just a really bad referee. Because I, I think, <laughs> I don't think the Eric Abidal sent-off he was sending off. I, I think it's one of them where he clips an Alka a little bit, but it's accidental. And I don't think that's a red card. So he got that wrong. How? How he didn't give the penalty, though, I really, I really don't know. I mean, the PK handball is as obvious as handball as you can get. And then this, the Sami Etu one, he's lit, the referee has literally stood less than five yards away when that hit, hits Etu's arm. So I don't know what he saw there that, that he saw. Yeah, that's not a pen. But I think one of the big moments in that game was the, the chance Drogba missed to make it 2-0 when he cut inside yeah. the defender and just his left footed shot and Valdez saved it with his foot. We had the chances without the referee in that game to finish it off and we didn't take them. And I think that was just sort of, that's what happened when it, on that sort of run, when we just couldn't quite get over the line to win the trophy. You know what, yeah. that, that, that Barcelona team was a fantastic team and rightfully so, we'll go down as one of the best teams ever. I mean, the talent they had, Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, Eto, PK. But we, we generally deserved to, to go through it. We were the better team. And I think that's why it was so devastating when Iniesta scored that goal. And so devastating to see that we should have at least had four chances, three or four chances to score from a penalty. And it, especially with the year before losing on, on penalties and, and losing in the final, which is heartbreaking. To then go from that to this semi-final where we should have got another shot at Man United in the final. It, it was heartbreaking 
to see it. It was almost like that year. I just felt like, all right, that was our final chance in the Champions League. We're never going to get another chance because the past two years we've come, we've just had so much bad luck that we'll never get another another chance. It was just awful to see. I, honestly, it pains. It gives me pains now looking back on it. But yeah. Semi, yeah, semi-finals, as we talked about in a previous episode of under Claudio Ranieri as well, they weren't our best for luck. I mean, you make your own luck as well, but yeah, we all remember when the final whistle blew, you've got several players surrounding the referee. You know, you've got Lampard and Iniesta calmly swapping shirts over <laughs> over on the field. And you've got Balak, Terry and Drogba shouting and contesting with the ref. Drogba notably shouts, it's an effing disgrace, into a live TV camera. Um, interesting point I'll bring up. You had Kevin McCarra writing for The Guardian at the time, and he described Oviedo as relatively inexperienced and declared that he did not inspire any confidence whatsoever. And that's a fair point. But 08-09 season, this was obviously after the Euro 2008 tournament, where he was selected for that tournament. The referee was. He was one of the referees at that tournament. He, he managed, he, sorry, managed, he refereed, you know, Germany-Poland on the opening game day of group b and italy romania so he's got he's got he was in the top tier and he was selected for 2010 world cup but he didn't make the original final sort of selection of referees for the finals but the point being experience was there i mean he said in recent years the ref that it weren't his best day but those mistakes can be committed and sometimes a player or a coach happen you know you're not at the level you should be, but you can't be proud of that performance. And yeah, we apparently still receive some abuse from Chelsea fans to this day. And as we said in the previous episode, there's no need for that. You know, just no, stop. But it was it was an absolute frustrating, frustrating way to be knocked out, you know. And the three fouls as well that were committed. I think I think, yeah. I think if I'm honest, I think after he gave Abidal the, the red card, it seemed like he didn't want to make another big decision against Barcelona. It seemed more like he, was, he, he bottled it, I think, is what, is what happened. He didn't want to make another big call against Barcelona in such a poison of game. Mm. I, would, I would say that's, that's a good point. Like it, it, it would seem as if he's bottled it, but I think when you're bottling something, it's normally, fair enough, if he doesn't give the next one, then that's, that's fair enough, he's bottled it. But then there's another two that he didn't give. And it's like, has he battled it? Has he just had a bad game? Or is there something sort of going beyond the scenes here that's never really come out? You like to think that that's not the case. You like to think it is just a bad day at the office and fair enough as Chelsea fans, it's heartbreaking, but, you know, mistakes do happen. But it did seem as if, like, something was against us that day. And I don't think, yeah. yeah. It it was an interesting, because obviously the next, the following season, were took over by Ancelotti and, Clearly, the Champions League heartbreak was like, we need to spend big in the summer. And oh boy, we brought in Ross Turnbull on a free. We got Daniel Sturridge from Man City for a tribunal fee. Um, Yuri Zhirkov from Moscow. Uh, and Nemanja Matic, which wasn't the Matic you're thinking of. It is that same player, but it weren't that stature that he eventually did come back to being. Um, it <laughs> yeah, it weren't, weren't great. And we won the Premier League that season as well. How mad's that? I mean, I don't know how Carlo did it off that team. So, fair play to him. We got knocked out in the round of 16, though, unfortunately, that following season. So, you do think, oh, not not again. But I think, I, who did we get knocked out to? If I just pull up. Inter, we, in, I think Inter, it was Inter Milan. Yeah. It was. 
Did they? Was that the year they yeah, won it? Goes into- it was Mourinho. Mourinho. Yeah. Wow. Yes, Sonny uh, actually scored at Stamford Bridge, didn't they? Yes, yes. Of course, because it was the 0-9-10 final where Howard Webb refereed it and then went to South Africa and refereed the World Cup final over there, of course. And yeah, then it- De Jong tried to decapitate Shabby <laughs> which was another refereeing mistake. Yeah, it's, it's madness, absolute madness when you think about it. But yeah, it's just one of those frustrating seasons. And, you know, you do think we could have had potentially three Champions League trophies, maybe four. You know, because you think of Ranieri if he hadn't done the, the tinkering. Um, and then you think of 2008 with the penalty shootout season after. And then obviously adding the 2012 success. But hey, we'll take one. It was 2012 will still be the greatest European night in our football club's history. And we've won, obviously, Europa League since. But yeah, with, with that, we've, we've come to the end of another episode about the Bridge Pod. So... Naturally, it's our social media plug time. So where can we all be found on the uh, the good old social media? Um, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Chris Burford. And on Twitter, I am at Chris09Adams. Yeah, that, that is true, listeners. I was told by a <laughs> listener this week to uh, update the good old Twitter bio because I was incorrectly put in Chris's... Uh, yeah, I've put the old name for Chris, so apologies there. I, I can't... Yeah, I can't remember who shouted me out. It probably was Mr. Chris Bailey. He's he's a top man like that. It was Chris Bailey. Fair play to him. Ah, uh, we love Chris. We he's love a Chris great, himself. he's a great, great listener. He is. So he's got another shout out another week. Fair play to him. So yeah, you you can find myself on Twitter and Instagram as that redhead dude. And for all things at the Bridge Pod, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for at the Bridge Pod. You can drop us a like, follow, and you can see my great new at the Bridge Pod mug. You know, pouring my coffee in, my beverages. Very nice. Me, uh... me and Chris me and Chris are still waiting to get soon, our hugs. Soon, soon. So, yeah, t- till next time, listeners. That is us signing off. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a match with live commentary, goal alerts, lineups, in-game stats and TV and radio links for over 100 leagues globally. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play.